You are listening to The Fox, a podcast novel written and read by Arlene Radaski. Chapter 4 Jana, A.D. 73, January. Time was not, my friend. The moon passed through half her cycle before Laverne and I spoke again. A slow fire burned in my belly, fueled by discontent and confusion. Bothersome questions repeated and grew to command my thoughts during sleepless nights. My mother and I still helped serve the evening meal to my uncle, his warriors, invited clansmen, and the druid. While the warriors and my uncle boasted the bravado stories of hunts and mischief, I stared at the lodge's packed dirt floor. To avoid Laverne, I walked to the end of the benches and placed the bread out of his reach. My mother, or Drista, refilled his mead. I watched. Laverne ate sparingly and drank little. He rarely smiled. He did not start conversations, but viewed the evening gathering until someone tossed him a question or comment. He petted my uncle's dogs and fed them bones and scraps from the table. When Laverne's dark, assessing eyes caught mine, I stumbled, balance lost at his glance. One night, as I passed, he grabbed my wrist and pulled me to him. The laughter and chatter around me was gone from my ears. The air grew silent. My hand shook as I steadied myself against the worn table and tried to push away. Unbidden tears traced my cheeks. I stared into his untelling face until his eyes softened, almost imperceptibly, as if he had come to a decision. His mouth formed a smile as he slowly released my arm. The noise of the room came back, and I fell away from him. My mother found me huddled against the stone wall, hidden by the smoke of the peat fire, my quiet tears falling to the dirt floor. Mother frowned, turned to leave, and beckoned for me to follow. A war raged inside me. I had passage dreams of him as a boy. I knew him before he came to my clan. Why was the boy, now a man, here? The gods were testing me. There was no one to counsel me. Mother's ear was not sympathetic, for my dreams and worries, and Oglin, my druid friend, was dead. So I observed, alone, unobserved, or so I thought. Laverne left the hilltop to visit farmers' abodes daily. I followed, out of sight, and watched as he kneeled to talk to the children, touching their cheeks with kindness. He spoke with the mothers and wives and gave them potions. His hands moved in conversations with the farmers while they surveyed the pigs. He seemed benevolent from a distance. Sometimes while I watched him, my doubts eased. Laverne said the gods had spoken, that we had a journey to make together. If the gods speak, then we must listen. We build our lives around that rule. But I was still wary. One afternoon, when the sky darkened with the clouds that lay threatening overhead, Laverne stood tall in the center of the hill fort. His feet were spread wide and arms crossed. His eyes followed me like a hawk flying over a field mouse. I went to the well, fed the animals, and swept my home. Defiant, I kept my face turned. He learned not from me or so I thought. It was the seasons the gods sent the dark times, the beginning of our year. Now the sun rested longer, and our daylight was short. Mother breathed with more difficulty on the days the lamps were lit. 
The smoky air in our abode clotted her lungs. She sometimes rose at night and rushed outside. She stood on her tiptoes, braced against our wall, her neck stretched and her mouth reaching for air. I followed and covered her hot body with a blanket against a chill that seeped into my heart, as she panted like a dog that had lost to a rabbit in a chase. Cords in her thin neck strained as she coughed up the bad air that invaded her body. I had seen others with the same breathing pattern while accompanying Oglin. I knew a few of the healing arts. Oglin taught me about some herbs and medicines. What I learned was not sufficient to feel skilled enough to help all the ill often, but my soul pulled me to help when I could. I tried to calm her, gave her heather tea and soured cow's milk. I said prayers to Armid for healing. Mother hated the drinks, but they seemed to ease her distress. It was all I knew to do. The sun's victory over the storm meant no oil lamps were needed to weave. We both celebrated the reprieve. The sun was out the morning he and I spoke again. My mother's loom glowed in its filtered golden light. It had rained steadily for three days, and we celebrated the sun's muted temporary warmth. Anxious to be outside on such a rare day, I stood and appraised the center of the hill fort. The offal was gone, washed down the hillside by the cleansing downpour. Dogs, free from boundaries, ran and chased fowl and each other until they could run no more. They returned to their masters, tongues hanging and spittle strung behind. All who lived on the hilltop took advantage of the lull in the storms to sweep the floors of dwellings and stables. Homes gave up their animals to be tied outside while women spread clean straw on the floors and refreshed beds. The scent of fresh-cut juniper wafted through the air. Activity buzzed like bees finding the first spring flowers. The colors of multi-layered green mountains were vivid. But just within our reckoning lay warning in the light blue sky, a gray cloud bank on the horizon. The next storm would be here today or tomorrow, and the north wind carried a dampness that caused me to shiver. On my way to refresh the water for our home and animals before the next storm, I met other women from the hilled homes. There was water stored in barrels by our doors for this chore, but we still came to the well when the rain stopped. Even in the mud and cold, gossip overruled convenience. Jana, Jana, the firm voice was familiar, its owner hidden by an oiled hooded cloak, cut from wool my mother and I had woven. Slim, work-worn hands drew back the hood, bronze hair fell to her back in waves, and I was eye to eye with Silius. For a moment her name was lost to me. Oh, Silius! I stepped forward and grasped the hand she held out to me. Perplexed, I tried to sort out the feelings that were running through me in the seconds I had before I spoke again. She had married Heralt, but I was not disconsolate. The path I was to follow was with Laverne, although it was difficult to find. Silius and Heralt had been in love for many years, since childhood. The gods made the right match. The right promise was kept. The goddess was watching over both Silius and me. I hugged her to my heart felt her body relax in my embrace, and my voice returned. Silius, I have not spoken with you about how pleased I am for you and Heralt. There were so many around you on your marriage day, and I did not want to bring you distress. I always knew you and Heralt should be together. You and I are friends, and I need your friendship around me. I do not wish to lose that attachment, ever. Oh, Jana, 
I worried that you would never forgive me. I also wanted to keep our friendship strong. Her light blue eyes clouded. Was it the cold or something else that affected them? I've been concerned about you since Sawain and I saw you fly away when our betrothal was announced. I would have come to your home, but the weather has made some of our sheep ill, and I have been busy making the marriage bed for Heralt and me. I knew of the things that needed to be done to create a new household. She moved into the dwelling Heralt shared with his father, Surtick, but she was making it her own now. She crafted a warm and comfortable bed in her new home, a bed, where her children would be born. Her round face broke into a small grin, but fell solemn again. Heralt's father is ill. His breathing is difficult, and he coughs all night. Yesterday I saw him spit blood when he did not know I was watching. Her shadowed eyes showed the concern of one who knows the result of a cough with blood. I touched her warm cheek with my cold, dry hand and said, I will speak with the druid, and I will come myself to see Surdic. I must go now. It is time to start the day's chores. I said, Goodbye, friend. Go with the gods. I will come to your home soon. She walked to the gate, and I turned to the well. I dropped the iron-ringed wooden bucket into the dark hole. The wet rope burned my fingers. The bucket filled with frigid water, and I heard him say my name behind me. I hesitated, then groaning with the effort, I began to pull up the full bucket. As I tugged at the heavy load held by the scratchy rope, he laid his warm, soft, long fingers over mine. I relaxed my aching, raw fingers and released the rope into his hands. Hand over hand, he pulled it up easily. He stepped in front of me, leaned against the stone wall, and lifted the bucket of freezing water out of the well. I held out my water jug, and he filled it, pouring without a drop lost. He turned to the other women in line, and refilling the bucket with ease, filled three more jugs. He assured them with words of prayer for safety from the coming storms. The women bowed their heads in respect and to thank him, and hurried back to their homes, families, and warm fires. I waited. He had not spoken with me for two weeks. I did not want to be the one to start the conversation, but I had promised Silius to speak with him. He watched the others leave and leaned over me. Jana, His voice burned away my promise to Silius. You and I are going to the forest today. Take the water home to your mother and meet me in the stable. Be quick. The storm is coming. Surprised at his tone, anger filled my belly and caused my hands to tremble. Water spilled from my overfilled jug and soaked the doeskin slippers I had worn on this errand. It was the voice of a master to his slave. How dare he give me orders after not talking to me for so long? I will go nowhere with you, I said. Why do you think you have the right to order me to come? You have not spoken with me in two weeks, and now I am supposed to follow you like a goose? No, I have work to do with my mother. I will not meet you anywhere. His sinewy body pressed me closer to the well. I stared up into his face, framed in the morning sun, and saw iron in his eyes. He took one step back and placed himself between my home and me, between my past and my future. Jana. It is time to start working together. I have much to teach you, and we have much to do. Many need us here. I had a dream last night about you. We must start today. His deep blue eyes locked onto mine, and I could not move. 
What was in our future that caused me to be so cautious? His hand touched my forehead, and the village vanished. As if drawn on the sky, I saw Laverne and myself with our hands raised, praying to the gods. We asked for their forgiveness. I was in a sacred place. All was calm. My heart was sad. A dreadful time was ahead, and we asked for help for our people. Just as quickly the vision's grip released me. Dizzy, I tripped forward and almost dropped my heavy water jug. The bright sun blinded me. Even with my passage dreams, I had never had a vision like this, one that I knew to be the truth of my future. I shook my head to move aside the wool that wrapped my brain. While imprisoned in this confusion, I realized my anger was gone. As if someone whispered in my ear, my heart knew the anger would not return. Laverne and I had a path to follow, and Morigna was leading us. I knew I would not argue any more. I straightened and caught the start of a grin, the recognition of my acceptance on his face. He also knew I was starting another way of life with him. I will meet you soon, I said. My muffled mind was full of questions as I walked quickly to my home. Later in the stable, the breath of the animals lent a sweet, grassy smell that helped soften the odor of waste. Laverne stroked Bethan's favorite war pony, careful of its impatient movements. I wish to find oak-grown mistletoe. We must gather some to protect us from the coming winter storms. I noticed as I walked around the farms and hilltop homes that there is little of the old mistletoe left inside them. Bethan said you would know of the mistletoe oak tree. Yes, I do know of such a tree. It is not close. How will we get there before the storm? I have spoken with Bethan. I told him today was the beginning of our search for the truth in the words of the gods, that you and I both agreed to work together. Pleased he said we could use those ponies. He pointed across the stable. These are his oldest and slowest. Still, Uncle Bethan is very generous to allow us their use. We tied the leather to the pony's back, slipped on the bridles, and led them outside into cold gusts of wind. I mounted, wrapped my cloak around and under my legs for protection from the cold weather, and tugged up my hood, its braided cords tied. Laverne wore his light brown cape over the same clothes in which he had come to us. I shrugged and shook my head at his choice. The ponies broke into a comfortable gait down the hill and toward Bell's copse with me in the lead. Bell's sacred oak grove was an hour away by pony. Druids had designated it sacred many years ago. Only our chieftains, druids, and a selected few were allowed entrance. It was there the mistletoe grew and where we gathered the dry oak for the quarter fires. When I was a child, I went there to learn from Ogolin. Ogolin and my mother were the only people of our clan who knew of my passage dreams. He invited me to the sacred copse after my mother told him of my unquiet nights. She feared I was ill after I told her of my first passage dream and asked if he knew of a healing spell or drink that would give me restful sleep. I think he invited me to watch over me as a mother watches a growing child. He began to teach me the healing arts. He would allow me to nurse the injured, sick, and dying of our clan. It was then I told him of my passage dreams. He told me the dreams were a gift from the gods and I would one day find the reason for them. The sight came to me, he said, when I blessed you as a newborn. You were working, helping your clan in ways yet not known. A man will come into your life to guide you. You will find your path to the gods. 
There will be a great trial for you, and your faith will be tested. Do not lose your way, and you will find peace after death. I knew him to be a visionary. He often foretold the future of members of our clan. I remembered when he told Tranis not to go near the river without his friends. Tranis fell into the river while hunting. He did not know how to get out and was saved by his friends. I secretly prayed my test would not come to me for many years. Both Oglin and I had prayed and stood vigil as Gavina, Bethan's wife, was ill. A mist lifted from her and floated over her body. I looked around and saw no one else noticed it. A thought came to me, and in a whisper, I told it to cross the river. In an instant, the mist was gone. She was dead. Her spirit shuttled to the land of the dead by the ferryman. Then Oglin became ill and died. He left me incomplete in my knowledge of helping the sick and injured, and I had been afraid to do too much of this work alone. I could not harm any by weaving, so I stayed with my mother. I thought the way I would help my clan was to weave my cloth, and the test Oglin spoke of was marrying Heralt. So I believed. Now my understanding of my life's plan had unraveled and twisted like the path leading to the sacred woods. I wondered what lay ahead. At the far edge of the copse grew a stunted oak. Lightning had damaged one of its largest branches near the trunk. As we sat on our steaming ponies under the tree, we could see bunches of mistletoe. Its golden green leaves burdened with the white berries grew out of the tree's injury. I have a dress of that green, and see? I opened my cloak to show him the inside. I lined my cloak with the felt woven from that color. I love it. I noticed. The color is good fortune. It brings Morigna's protection to you. Your eyes look more gold than green when you wear the dress. I was surprised. He knew when I wore my green dress. He had kept his silence and secrets. He reached across the width of the pony's distance and touched a loose tendril of my hair. You have been touched by the goddess. Your hair is one of her signs, the color of her ravens. Your dreams are another. Shyly I looked back into the leafless oak tree and said, Here is where we find Belle's sacred mistletoe. Here is where you ask to be. We dismounted, and he shinnied up the oak tree and unsheathed his dirk to harvest the mistletoe. Being careful of possible weakness of the branch, he harvested all the stems with berries, leaving the green-leaved stems with no berries to continue growing. There was enough to give one branch to each household of our clan for this New Year's protection and fertility. As he cut them loose, he dropped the stems to me. I wrapped them in a cloth and slipped them into a pocket inside my cloak. He slid down out of the tree, sheathed his dirk, and readjusted his small bag. What's that design? I saw it the night you came to us, I asked as we remounted our ponies. Laverne reached behind and pulled the soft leather pouch to the front. He covered the drawing with his right hand and closed his eyes. He opened his eyes and said, My druid teacher, Conan, first drew it to help me learn to meditate. It is a seven-ringed labyrinth. I copied it and use it when I talk to the gods. I will teach the meditation to you some day. This bag never leaves me. It carries my past and future life. At that the sky, which had lowered and darkened to the color of bruised lavender, began to rain in torrents. Follow me, I know where we can get out of this, I shouted through the thunder, trying not to get a mouthful of water while talking. 
Our ponies wove their way through the trees and jumped the small stream that formed rapids with the rain. I stopped at the foot of a hill and tied my pony to a holly bush. He did the same. Wildly searching through the undergrowth with rain beating on my back and head, I found the start of the trail. Up here, I yelled. I shaded my eyes with my hand, peering through the wall of rain to make sure he was following. The wind whipped his light cape, his long, rain-darkened hair clung to his face, yet his eyes were as sharp as an owl's. We fought our way up, slipping on muddy rocks, reaching out for each other at almost every step. Finally, the mouth of the cave appeared before me. It was smaller than I remembered. I hoped no other animal had found it and decided to use it for refuge from the storm. He edged in front of me, lowered to his knees, and disappeared inside. Tucking my cloak and dress up around my thighs, I crawled through the entrance. Stones punched into my bare knees and water sluiced down my back from the hillside. Grunting, I crawled and dragged myself until I ran into his huddled form and fell into a heap myself, gasping. The cave opened into an area large enough for us to sit upright. I wrinkled my nose at its close and fetid air. We caught our breath. I did not expect the rain to come so soon or so hard, I said, as I untied my hood. I am glad we got the mistletoe. The storms this season seem to be stronger than any I remember. After I unfastened the oak pin, I shrugged my cloak off. It had kept me dry. I had woven the cloth and cut it myself. After Mother sewed it, I rubbed it with the oils boiled from the wool after gathering. It had repelled most of the rain, even the small waterfall at the mouth of the cave. Only the hem of my dress and my shoes were wet. Sitting next to me, Laverne shivered in the cold gray light that lit the cave. Our breath steamed in front of us. Take off your wet cape and come here under my cloak, I said. He had warmed me the same way the day we walked around the lake. You must get warm. We will not be near a fire for hours. He agreed, and we were soon sitting side by side, wrapped together in my cloak, his wet cape laying aside. The clay floor held the cold, but at least was not wet. The slant of the floor of the small cave kept the rain outside. Roots from the trees on the hillside grew inside, and it smelled of wet earth and the animals that used it as a protection in the past. We had arrived first, and most animals would avoid us, I hoped. He said, I'm glad you knew of this cave. It would have been a difficult ride back. I know the land around us. My favorite place is a waterfall in the small river near here. I find peace there. Laverne shook his head like a wet dog, and drops of water flew over me and across the cave. Stop shaking. You're getting me as wet as you, I said. Let me dry your face. I used the corner of my dress to dry his clean-shaven carved cheeks and strong chin. I gazed into Laverne's eyes. His hot breath mingled with mine. He smelled of wet wool, leather, sweet beeswax, and acorns. I had never smelled that combination before. Geralt had an odor of the oil from the sheep he tended, and Uncle Bethan, the pork he loved to eat. But this, this was new. I wanted to stay here and inhale this scent forever. When I touched him for the first time, not in anger, there was a quickening new to my body. Heat started in my loins and rushed up to my neck to lodge in my face. He broke into his crooked grin, his eyes crinkled at the corners, and their deep blue lightened. I became motionless, not wanting to allow anything to interrupt this connection. 
I can see we are both warming. Even in this light, I can see you are blushing, he said. Questions blurred my thoughts. I had never felt this way about a man before, not even Heralt. I became embarrassed and eased away from him. What do you carry in your bag, I asked, wanting to fill this awkward space. Lifting its strap from his neck and shoulder, he untied the drawstring at the top of the bag and tipped it upside down. Three white crystals as large as the sheep's eyes tumbled into his upturned hand. Hold these and tell me what you feel. He reached over and gently placed them into my hand. They were warm, more than his body heat. They carried warmth of their own. Looking at them in the dim light, I had the impression that the milky, bluish-white color was swirling inside the stones. I caressed them and was not surprised when a feeling of love and respect emanated from deep inside the stones. These crystals, I told him, are your link to your family, your life. They carry memories of who you were, who you are. They should be held near your heart. His hand reached out, and I opened mine to drop the stones into his. The words I had just spoken came from my heart, not my mind. They were out of my mouth before I thought of them. This was new to me. This and my earlier vision at the well had never happened to me before. It was unlike my passage dreams. I did not know what to think. Did I speak incorrectly? I searched his face. Laverne smiled. Oh, yes, you have gifts from the goddess. You did not know of my stones, yet you told me what they mean to me. Your gifts will become stronger as we work together. He took the stones and held them in his right hand and rolled them together with soft clicks. I received these on my naming day. Conan, my teacher, gave them to me and told me they represented the three goddesses, Maregna, Macha, and Bod the triumvirate of Queen Morigna. He told me that I was to be tested and I would need these to give me strength. I think he knew about the battles and my journey. He often told me about events before they happened. Laverne's eyes stared out the entrance of the cave, but seemed to be looking much further than the rain would allow me to see. His eyes turned back to the stones. I use them for meditation. They bring me closer to the goddesses and the memories of my family. He laid the stones on his lap, reached into his bag again, and drew out a piece of red fur. Fox fur. After caressing it with both hands, he handed it to me. His eyes held mine. As I took it from him, I remembered my first passage dream of him. The air around me crackled with excitement and carried the strong smell of blood. Oh, mother goddess, this is from the fox I watched you kill. I was there. I knew the fox I killed that day would mean more to me than just my naming animal. I kept a piece of its fur with me. Yes, you were there, he agreed. It is through our connection that we will work to find a way to protect your clan. We must. Or what happened to my people will happen to yours, he prophesied. He slid the crystals and the fox fur back into the bag. This bag is all I have of my home. I wondered what had become of his family and why he was so frightened of it happening here. The rain pulsed down outside the cave. The sky was bright with lightning and peals of thunder vibrated the air. We both whispered prayers to Tyrannus, the thunder god, 
Laverne reached for the cloth-wrapped mistletoe and extracted a small sprig. Mother Marigna and Father Bell protect us from the storm. He touched the mistletoe to his lips and forehead. I pray in your names for protection of this clan, this village, who offers me a life renewed. He reached across me, his arms brushing my breasts, and laid the mistletoe just inside the entrance of the cave. I wanted him to stay in that position. I looked at his lips and wondered what they tasted like. I had never thought that about any other man. He sat back against the wall. I hoped he had not seen how I reacted to his touch. I had to do something, so I asked a question. Laverne, why did you come here to my village? He sat silent. I began to wonder if he was not going to answer. Then, in a quiet voice, he told me his story. I passed nineteen seasons in my mother's village. She raised my two sisters and me until I went to live with the druid. A wild boar, when I was but five summers old, killed my father. My mother, alone with three small children, knew times of strife and hunger, but we survived. But the last years were beyond any we had ever experienced or dreamed of, filled with war. His head hung, eyes to the floor of the dark cave, as he continued. My queen, Brutusia, fought to overthrow the invading Romans, but she lost. As punishment, her daughters were murdered. She could not live with her failure and without her daughters, so she took poison. The Romans raged and went on a killing and raping quest. They wished to destroy all of her loyal villages. We had escaped notice, but then our chieftain decided to raid a Roman camp. It was a decision that cost too much. After the battle, the Romans came to our village. My mother was killed, sisters raped and taken as slaves. My teacher was also taken. I do not know if they live. Only I of my village escaped. We have not had any of our clan taken as slaves in my memory. My mother told me stories of when our clan villages were at war with each other constantly. One of my uncles was taken, she told me once, and sacrificed at Beltane by another tribe. Bethan has called a truce with the local clans, and we do not have to worry the way my grandmother and mother did. I had no memories like his. I could not compare his pain with any I felt. After a pause of ten heartbeats, his eyes looked into mine, and a spark of life flickered in their depths as he continued. Before the last battles, Conan told me that he had no more to teach me. He arranged to send me to a nearby village to learn more about treating wounds. The healer Kinsey, well known in our land, claimed that he could heal all wounds except those that separated the head from the body. His village was spared the Roman raids. They brought their wounded to him, so great was his skill. The Romans needed him. I learned much. Then news came from the raid on my village, the home of my mother, sisters, and teacher. Why did you leave? Could you not stay with Kinsey and be free? The day the story of my village's attack came, I ran home. Ashes and bones filled my home and the homes that were my village. I walked and cried for one whole day, looking for anyone left alive. One man, a farmer, who had been hit on the head and fallen into a hole with animal waste, had escaped the fires. He groaned and I heard him. It was he who told me what had happened to my family and teacher. I had carried and laid him under a shelter. I gave him drops of water to drink. Then a small band of Roman warriors came back to search for any left alive. 
The farmer told me to run as he scooted under some straw. I jumped into the hole I had pulled him from and pretended death. No Roman would crawl in after me. They found the farmer, killed him, and threw his body in on top of me. I did not move. I hid in a hole in the ground that stank of shit and death for one day. It was during that day I decided I could not stay. That night, deep in darkness, the careless Romans asleep, I ran. The tree and the star gods guided my feet. His fist tightened around his memory bag. Away from those murderers, the Romans, I will never forget the smell of my village. I dream of my sister's cries. It took me three moon cycles to walk here, months filled by hiding, eating berries, leaves, small animals, and stolen food. Three months of walking away from death to life to you. He hesitated, took in a deep breath, and again sighed. I leaned forward, fascinated by his tail. I came to the bank of the fast, narrow stream and waterfall. My waterfall, I thought. Hidden in the copse of birch and alder trees near your village, and I sensed I had finally come to a place where I would be safe. He seemed to slump in a release of tension with these words. I had decided the gods would bring me out of the forest when they knew it was safe. I had no desire to move from the spot by the stream. While resting, I heard twigs break and leaves rustle. A strong odor of sheep floated in the air, and I knew a farmer watched me. I decided not to attempt to talk to him unless he came to me. I sat by the rushing sounds of the rapids and breathed in the peaceful, clean smell of the nearby trees, meditated and waited. The farmer was gone. My stomach rumbled from a lack of food and I was dizzy from the lack of sleep. I wanted, needed this journey to end. I did not have long to wait. The scent of the pony came next. He turned to face me with a smile tickling the corners of his mouth. It made me happy to know he finished his sad story and was now in a better place. He straightened his legs and wiped his nose as if he smelled the pony again. A large form shaded the sun, and then I saw the warrior's spear under my nose. It was poised, ready to plunge. Its tip broke the skin on my chest as it cut through my clothing. Laverne reached up and touched his chest where the spear point had left its mark. The pressure was enough to tell me my life was in danger if I moved quickly. After many heartbeats, when the spear did not plunge deep into my heart, I respectfully looked up and saw him. He was a tall warrior whose feet hung low on his war pony. Laverne's chin lifted as if he were looking at the warrior now. The hand not holding the spear was holding a short sword. His hair hung to his shoulders. His eyes impaled me from under the brush of his eyebrows. His tight mouth and set chin, almost fully covered in a thick beard, signaled me not to move. But that was how he met our chieftain, my Uncle Bethan. I visualized this encounter. What a difference in this story of the two men meeting for the first time. The warrior's stern voice, as well as his weapons, caused me to listen carefully. Where are you from? I told him I was a druid healer. I came from the south, escaping invaders. He told me that the gods looked with favor upon him that day. He introduced himself as Bethan, chieftain of his, your clan. He pulled back the spear that raised blood on my chest, sheathed his bronze-hilted sword, and called his dogs from the copse.
Two of them came, each almost as big as his pony. He told me to give him my dirk until we reached the lodge. I would ride behind him, weaponless. With the threat of his spear and the dogs at his side, I obeyed. Bethan then told me, Our druid is dead. Our gods directed me to you. You will perform the Sawain ceremony on the morrow. When Laverne mentioned the Sawain ceremony, Silius's face and the promise I made to her came to mind. I must remember to tell Laverne about Surdic's illness. Bethan reached under my arms and lifted me off my feet, Laverne continued. I was deposited on the pony as if I were weightless. The sun was in the sky at mid-afternoon, glistening off the damp autumn leaves. We rode for an hour with no conversation between us. I observed as we rode. It was Fogra, the harvests were in and the fields were empty. We passed farms with generous stacks of hay and corn stalks that shared the stables with the ponies and sheep. The harvest was good. The goddess was happy. I heard pigs screech and smell the blood of butchering float on the air. It was time to prepare and salt meat for the cold days. As I bounced on the pony's back, I filled myself with thoughts of the ceremony, Sawain, the time that lies between summer and winter, light and darkness, the new beginning to the year. I silently prayed to the gods and goddesses, asking them to honor and protect the people of this clan. In exchange, I would light the giving fires and perform sacrifices. I also prayed that this would end my journey. I hoped I could stay with this clan and again be a healer. Pausing, Laverne reached above his head, pushed against the roof of the cave and stretched. My legs were beginning to cramp, so I stretched them also. The incessant pounding of the rain had lessened. We came to the fort and the pony carried us up the hill to the enclosure's open gates. I remember how loud his voice was when Bethan called to others to come to his lodge as we entered the hill fort. All the lodges we saw, the farms, and now the homes on the hill could have been from my own village. The ride took us past the corn-drying kiln and your well. Dogs ran through the center courtyard and Bethan's dogs took off yelping in chase. The odors of peat smoke and cooking meat made my mouth water. I heard women calling their husbands and children to dinner, along with a clamor of goats, ponies, chickens, dogs, and pigs living together in the fort. Men came to him, all wearing capes of the same plaid as their chieftain. They yelled greetings and raised their empty mugs in a salute. His pony stopped in front of his lodge. Bethan lifted his leg over the pony's withers and slid off. He encouraged me to do the same. I slid off and fell to the ground, weak with hunger and lack of sleep. Bethan laughed like a coughing bear in the spring. He snores like a bear in winter, too, I said. I know. I sleep in his home now. Sometimes I cannot sleep through all that noise. Laverne shook his head and smiled. Bethan carried me inside his warm home that smelled of smoke and cooked meats. Life. You served me and I ate, my strength returning. Then I watched you dance and heard your voice. I grew weak again. When you walked me to the stables and told me your name, I had to grit my teeth and use all my strength to stay standing. How could it be in the entire world that I would finally meet you? You were as real to me as my mother, yet I knew you only through two daydreams. 
strange incidents that seemed real, yet unreal. I had felt safe and secure during the events, never in danger or helpless. I was connected to you in my heart. I was named Fox because I know to follow my instincts, and when my life was threatened, I traveled for months, never doubting my journey or the path it took. Now I know it was to find you. I am home. Here he paused, twisted towards me, and cradled my face in his gentle hands. I do not know why you dreamed of me, but I do know that we are fated to be together. The gods and my heart led me here, and now it is up to us to find out what we are destined for, Laverne concluded. But what is in our future? I asked. Why did it take the loss of your family to bring us together? It saddens me to think that they are gone in such a horrific way. I have learned that the gods reveal their plans at their will. We do best if we do not question them. We must go. It is late, and your uncle will send men after us if we are too long. The rain slowed to a drizzle, and we left the cave. Droplets gathered on my eyelashes, fell to my face, and I blinked in the muted light. We reached the tethered ponies. He came up behind me and turned me to see his tender eyes. The fingertips of one hand lifted my chin, and the other traced my cold face with his warm fingers, from one cheek to the chin and back to the other cheek. His damp body still smelled of beeswax and acorns. His hands had touched my face and my heart. I fell in love with him at that instant. His breath was sweet when his lips touched mine. A contract was sealed. I felt a shift in my life and future with that kiss. The old druid Oglin's vision for me had come true. My path was now clear. No longer would I weave wool. I would weave love and unknowingly acceptance of death. Please join me again for another chapter of The Fox by Arlene Radaski. Now enjoy the music of Steve McDonald's song, Bodicea, from the album Stone of Destiny. His music can be found at www.etherean.com, who along with Steve have allowed me to use the music in my podcasts. Learn more about me at www.radasky.com. Deep in the night, in a quiet place, I hear her voice, I see her face, all in a dream. She was the warrior queen. an honor affair Fight the foe Fight the foe Say the warrior queen The lion looks proud in the shade of the tree But the lioness hunts down the prey The victor is she Oh
Would ever forget 